is right. Bear down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast. Bears are powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And, uh, well, not a good week, Bears fans. Not a good week. Not saying anything you don't know already. That was an ugly, ugly loss to Tampa Bay. Unfortunately, not very surprising at all. The Bears are outmatched by these excellent football teams. We've got a great guest today, Olin Krutz, the legend. He will be by here in in a little bit. I got a lot to get in with Olin. There's a lot of offensive line questions I have that that I'm hoping Olin can kind of peel back the onion a little bit and kind of tell us what what he thinks is going on with with the linemen and in those offensive rooms, coaches, where they're making the decisions because, look, I have I have some questions about what happened against Tampa Bay. Let's start right there since I brought up Olin Krutz. Right tackle. So Latavius Simmons comes in with no practice. I sit there and go, how does that happen? Because here's the situation, right? You've always got guys that are that are practicing and prepping. And, you know, so if someone gets hurt, you always know because you've got, you know, certain depth at certain positions that you say, all right, if, if Roquan Smith gets hurt, then this person's coming in, you know, whether it's Danny or, or Ogletree or Christian Jones, doesn't matter. You know, you, you've got a secession plan because you know your, your staff, you know your roster top and bottom. So when the Bears start having injuries at the tackle position and you sit there and you're coming into this game going, all right, we are starting Elijah Wilkinson. What was the contingency plan if Elijah Wilkinson got hurt on the third play of the game? It doesn't appear that they had one because when Simmons is in essence the backup and he wasn't even going to be active, right? He was going to be like, he's the ninth offensive lineman. He wasn't even going to be active, I don't think, on game day. So when Simmons is getting thrust into this position, because Wilkinson gets COVID and, and has to go, you know, whether it was Saturday, Sunday, exactly what, what, I don't remember the exact timeline, but it was very late in the week. When that happens, how is there no plan in place? Why was Alex Bars not, not in place? Was Alex Bars because he was already in certain packages and they thought that was going to screw that up? I don't understand how... Wilkinson being put on COVID list on Saturday versus being hurt on play two, it, what what the difference is there? So I want to ask Olin how you can be so unprepared to have a player, in essence, go down at the last second because the Bears were caught with their pants down. Simmons had no chance. If you like PFF grades, I believe he had a zero pass block grade. Zero. I didn't even know that was possible. Zero, which means he had a negatively graded play on every play. Every play. So when, and I'm not blaming Latavius Simmons to put a guy out there with no reps to go up against Barrett. Are you kidding me? And and not give him any help. That, that was mis, that, that was just gross misconduct by the coaching staff to not have a plan in place. And once they realized that the situation was going to be that Simmons needed to start at right tackle, how they weren't constantly bringing help and chips and double teams and support and anything they could throw at him to help him. They did nothing, and that is alarming to me. That is alarming that that situation was was exactly what it was. I don't understand how the Chicago Bears could go into that game with so little plan at one of their offensive line positions. So I want to ask Olin about that. I'm going to obviously ask Olin about the offensive line play in general because for the most part, I think you have to look at this offensive line and go, they're playing pretty well 
in the run game. We've seen them have success with Montgomery. We've now seen Herbert have success in this, this offense in terms of the run game. They're running the football well. And you can credit Monty and you can credit Herbert, but if there was no help up front, they would not be able to get this going. And this is that Juan Castillo offensive line. And I'm pretty sure I brought this up on the podcast long time ago about Juan Castillo. And what Juan, Juan Castillo is not a guy that just wants to sit there and let the defense come to him and just try and put bodies in front of him. Juan Castillo has a certain type of player he likes. He likes the brawler. He likes the downhill aggressive brawler. Jason Peters is a brawler. You know, James Daniels is a brawler. Uh, you know, uh, Wilkinson, that's what Elijah Wilkinson does well. Borum and, and, and Jenkins, the, the, the rookie tackles, that's exactly what they do. There is a type of offensive lineman that they've brought in here to kind of get that nasty attitude. And we're seeing it in the run game. We're seeing that. So, so it's great that that's come together. But in the pass game, they are just not having enough success. I, I think Cody Whitehair just continues to struggle. Jason Peters, I think, has been their best offensive lineman, which is a problem because Jason Peters was, was basically, you know, taken off the scrap heap. I get it. Hall of Famer. He's, he's, he's a legend. He's, he's outstanding, but he's basically 40 years old and he was on a fishing trip and they said, Hey, we need a tackle. Can you play? I mean, that's your best offensive lineman. I think James Daniels is probably second. We've seen some inconsistent play out of him, but some great blocks as well. So James Daniels is one of those guys who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, kind of see where he is by the end of the year. If he's a guy you can bring back, I think it's a guy you should bring back on some kind of an affordable deal. You know, hopefully Daniels isn't in a position where he thinks he can get, you know, 11, 12 million a year on the free agent market. I don't know with the bump in the cap how much overspending is going to happen. That's not a James Daniels contract to me. If someone wants to overpay him that much, that's what's going to happen. Hopefully they can get him on some sort of multi-year affordable deal with a couple of years guaranteed, something like that. We'll see about that because they've got a lot of issues on the offensive line, right? Borum, I know we all like Borum when we think he could be good, but remember, guys, this is a fifth-round tackle. You, know, you don't just thrust rookie fifth-round picks in, into the starting lineup and, and think they're going to be Anthony Munoz. That's that's not how this works. Borum is going to struggle. Borum's feet, you know, he's he's got things that he needs to work on. So I don't think you should just expect Larry Borum to go out there at right tackle and solve solve the world's problems. I, I think they need to see what they have in Borum and see if next year they can commit to Borum and Jenkins at, at the tackles. You've already got Whitehair under contract. You've got Daniels, who potentially could return. You know, we'll see what happens with him. And then you've got Sam Mustafer, who again, I'm gonna I want to talk to Olin Krutz about Olin knows him well. He's worked him out. He he, you know, he practices with him regularly. So I think, you know, I want to try and talk to Olin and see kind of go inside where he thinks Sam Mustafer is in terms of his development as a, as a center at this point, because for me, I haven't seen Sam Mustafer make that jump. I give him full credit for being a UDFA and working his way into the starting lineup of an NFL roster, but I, I wanted to see him make an appreciable jump where there was improvements, and I haven't seen that. So I want to talk to Olin about that and see where he thinks he is in terms of developing into a legitimate everyday center. So a lot I want to get into, Olin, with, with the offensive line, but you know, overall here, we're in a situation where we're seeing the same thing with this Chicago Bears team. When they play a good team, right? When they play those elite teams, who are the elite teams? I would say Buffalo's an elite team. I would say Green Bay. I would say the Rams, the Cardinals. 
you know, Tampa Bay. Those are the elite teams. I understand, you know, Cincinnati's looked, looked pretty good. The Raiders have looked pretty good. Those are nice wins the Bears have had. But I'm talking about the elite teams. I don't think anyone's sitting there saying the Raiders are a Super Bowl contender. But they are saying the Rams are a Super Bowl contender and the Bucks are a Super Bowl contender. And the bottom line is, when those teams play the Chicago Bears, they humiliate the Chicago Bears. It's not even like, oh, that was a good effort. The Bears get embarrassed when they play those really good football teams. They're out. You know, there's not enough talent on the field, and there's not enough talent on the sidelines, and by that I mean the coaching staff. They are outmanned, outgunned in every way possible in those games. When they play poor teams and the, the playing field is a little more level, that's when we see them play much better and, and win games. And this isn't to say that they, oh, of course, they're going to lose to good teams and beat bad teams. No, but this is the difference is the Detroit Lions, they stink, right? They're winless. Might, might finally get a win this week. We'll see. I think it's Philadelphia, but they stink. The Detroit Lions battle. The Detroit Lions do not have enough talent. They don't have a great quarterback, and they lose because there's not enough talent on the field. But their coaching staff, whether it's through inspiration or scheme or both, is pulling them up to being competitive, at least through most of the game, against these good football teams. That's not happening with the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears are not battling at the same level. They are getting shot out of a cannon. Uh, you know, the other team, I should say, is getting shot out of a cannon and gets out to such a big lead that it just, the rest of the game is flat. That that continues to happen with this team. And not just this year. This has happened the last couple of years, too. For the most part, yeah, sure, they went, you know, overtime with the Saints. I'm not saying it happens every week. But so far this year, it's happened every week. They do not play up to their competition. They, they, they never get up to that level. You don't see the Bears with big upsets. And maybe I'm playing, I'm looking too much into this, but I have noticed one thing that's interesting. The teams the Chicago Bears beat, their head coaches almost exclusively have one thing in common. They are either a first-year head coach that is still getting their feet wet or a coach that ends up getting fired at the end of the year. It's almost exclusively that situation. And even look at the look at the three wins they have this year. Zach Taylor is not going to get fired after this season because Cincinnati is going to end up having a good record. But I think a lot of people think Zach Taylor's coaching is, is suspect and that Joe Burrow and Jim Chase are, are elevating them based on their, their play right now. Zach Taylor, when you talk about talk to NFL circles, does not get a lot of credit for this Cincinnati Bengals team. They don't necessarily think he's a good coach, so, so keep that in mind. But Zach Taylor is an anomaly, all right? The other two, you've got Dan Campbell, who, first-year coach, fits the mold. John Gruden, he's already fired. Now, he was fired for something else, but no one sits there and thinks that John Gruden was doing a good job with the Raiders either. Nobody. So now you've got a, it fits the mold that's there. Then you go back to the, the previous seasons, and you are going to see a consistent trend. 2019, let's see, who remember who they beat. They beat Vic Fangio, first year. Now, now forget division. Division, there's too many games in there, and I know he's beaten Mike Zimmer, but I'm talking about out-of-division games. He beat Fangio, first year. He beat Washington. He beat Gruden, Jay Gruden, last year. He beat the Giants in 2019, Pat Shermer. That was his last year. And they beat the Cowboys in 2019. That was Garrett's last year. Last year, they beat the Giants. Joe Judge, first year, they beat Atlanta with the Miracle Foles game. Dan Quinn got fired at the end of the year. 
Matt Rule, first year when they beat Carolina. Romeo Cornell was an interim coach when they beat Houston at the end of the year. Doug Marone got fired at the end of the year. Bruce Arians, another anomaly. No one knows how the Bears managed to beat Tom Brady in the Bucs last season, but they managed to do it. So again, you're seeing a consistent thing here that the only thing Matt Nagy seems to manage to do is beat inexperienced coaches or coaches that were on their way out because they're, they're not performing well. That seems to be who he's beating. He doesn't seem to beat any other kind of good established coach. They seem to lose those games. The only coach he seems to manage to do that with is Mike Zimmer. You know, they, they beat the Vikings on a pretty regular basis. But other than that, he's constantly beating first year or last year head coaches. And maybe I'm reading too much into that, but I do think that's interesting because that really does fit the mold here the last three seasons about when the Bears win games is when the coaching staff basically isn't outmatched. That's what I'm getting at. When you have inexperienced coaches or coaching staffs that are on their way out because they're not performing well, those are the coaching staffs Matt Nagy can beat. So be interesting to see what happens here against the San Francisco game. I'll give some thoughts about that after the Olin Krutz interview, but I know you guys want to hear from Olin, so we will get to him next. This is Bears banter. Bill Zimmerman will be right back. Welcome back into the podcast and very excited for my next guest. He's, he's very nice enough to jump on once a year with me. He is Olin Krutz, legendary Chicago Bears center, and he joins us now. Olin, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? Bill, I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing very well and, and probably better than a lot of guys in that Chicago Bears locker room right now. Mm-hmm. Rough couple of weeks. And before I get into plenty with the Tampa game and kind of what's going on, I want to rewind the clock to the Green Bay game because – you know, you made some comments after Aaron Rodgers decided to really give it to the fans with the I own you, you statement. And, you know, you were really agitated. You said you wanted to punch him in the face. You, you went back uh, and made some more comments on NBC about those, about that comment. And I think a lot of Bears fans love your feistiness and that you still are just, you know, that passionate about the team that you hate seeing something like that. And, you know, I had the statement, you know, and I said that it's, beyond frustrating as a fan to be there. But at the same time, Aaron Rodgers spoke the truth. But it sounds to me that you don't care that Aaron Rodgers spoke the truth. You just don't like that he did it at all. Is, is that accurate? No, I don't. I, I think once you throw respect out the window, you can't go get it back. So uh, even if you, even if someone's right, they tell you your mom's ugly. If she's ugly, you're still not going to like it. So even if someone's accurate, you shouldn't like their statement and just take it, in my opinion. Now, look, everybody likes to keep acting like Olin, you are super agitated. I was asked the question, how would I have felt on the field as a player? My response was, I would have felt like punching him in the face. But taking out of context, whatever it is, I don't really care. That is the way I would have felt about it. That's the way I feel about it. When I see him yelling at fans, here's my thing. Don't yell at somebody, I own you, mother effer, and then act like, oh, look, I don't know why you took that personal. If someone walked up to you on the street in your face and told you, I own you, mother effer, I hope to God goodness, even if he's right, you would stand up for yourself and punch him in the face. Yeah, look, I, I am totally with you in that regard. And, and certainly when you're on the I don't field, care how many wins he has. I'm not bowing down to a guy who wins. He's going to have to beat me every day of the week. Yeah, look, and I, I'm with you on that. I and, I and I agree on that. And I would agree with you 100%. As a football player, if I was on the field and saw that, I would take that personally. And as a coaching staff, one that, you know, is, I believe, what, one in six against against Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. I would take that personally as well. And I would have liked to have seen something more coming out of the team afterwards 
that mm-hmm. just kind of said that's unacceptable in our eyes. And I just, I didn't get that from the, from the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's the same way I feel. And I'm sure maybe they feel that way and felt like not saying it. I don't know. But again, going back to the fact that Molly asked me on the radio, what would you have felt that day when you're on the field? That is probably what I would have felt, especially if you are in the building, you are George McCaskey, you're running a team, you're sitting there as a the chairman of the organization your grandfather started the team. George Hallis started the NFL. And now this guy is screaming at you, I own you, mother efforts. And then to back it off and say, everybody act like, man, what are you guys mad about? <laughs> Aaron, I mean, you just said, I own you. Like, like, what did you want everybody to feel? So I found it interesting. Obviously, the Bears have bigger problems. Obviously, there is a point of they need to just go on the field and beat Aaron Rodgers. There's all of that. All of that is there's argument for all that. I'm saying, I don't care what you say. I don't care how many times you win. I, I, I don't like you saying that anyway. Fair. Absolutely. I agree with you hundred percent there. Now moving, moving ahead to the Tampa game, want to start at one specific spot and that's right tackle because Lachavius Simmons was just outmatched there. And then when you hear Jason Peters say that he didn't get one rep and he, you know, he was just basically thrown out there because the Elijah Wilkinson, you know, COVID situation. So this is this is my question for you as someone who's been in, you know, a, a, an offensive lineman in the NFL for and is prepared for games. When Elijah Wilkinson is slated to start at right tackle, how does a coaching staff? Because to me, this is clearly what this shows. Does not have a plan for if Elijah Wilkinson gets injured on the first series of the game, our right tackle is going to be who? They didn't seem to have a plan because they didn't have anyone prepared to step into that role. Am I, am I right in that regard? Yeah. So, so I'm imagining now that their plan was if Elijah Wilkinson is active, if he gets, say Peters gets injured, Elijah Wilkinson bumps the left tackle, Alex Bars goes to right tackle. So I'm sure Alex got most of the reps there at right tackle because if Elijah Wilkinson is up, obviously the Chavis Simmons is down. He's not suiting up on Sunday. Right. Uh, they didn't have a plan. Obviously, going into that morning, they didn't know Elijah Wilkinson was going to be down, I think, in two right before kickoff. Um, why they don't just go with Alex Bars there, the veteran, the guy who did get reps, I don't sure. know. Um, you're going against Shaq Barrett. You're going against Jason Pierre-Paul. It's a tough matchup for anybody. And then you're going to leave him one-on-one on, on certain situations. It's not going to work out good for Chicago Bears. Achavia Simmons – played a lot in preseason. He still struggled in pass protection in preseason. So like you're saying, you should know your player. If you are going to play him, if he is going to be up, if you are going to choose him over Alex bars, when you, then you need to have a plan. You need to have a plan to protect him. And that was my problem with him playing. And, you know, for the choice to not go with Alex bars, if, and look, I, I I'm sure you have a lot of issues with a lot of the things the coaching staff has done, but to not go with Alex Bars, do you think that's because of the fact that, in essence, he was the sixth offensive lineman and maybe was going to be in big packages and things and they didn't want to disrupt that? Is, is that the thought process there? Because, like I said, it just doesn't seem well thought out to me. No, it doesn't. And I would imagine then that, like you're saying, Alex is the sixth offensive lineman. He played a lot of tight end, I think, against the Raiders when they had Jesse James and J.P. Holtz out. So I'm guessing that in those packages, if they didn't work anybody else in there, Maybe they were worried about losing him. And, and to me, there's, there's the problem, right? You have to, like you're saying, think through every scenario 
and say, okay, now what if Alex does go in? Who would we use in this big package? Uh, would it be Dieter Ilson? Or would, would it be uh, Lachavius Simmons? But they didn't even think Lachavius Simmons was going to be up that day, right? So I don't really know what they're thinking. I don't know whose decision that ultimately is. It just ends up being the wrong decisions, which seems to be something that's going on a lot this year. Yeah, it, it, it really does. And to to little further on the offensive line in terms of offensive strategy, in terms of the scheme week to week, which I, I know obviously is going to be adapted to the opponent. But the one thing we've seen consistently, and it doesn't matter if it's Jason Peters against Miles Carrot, you know, uh, Fetty had issues, Lachavius Simmons against Barrett. They're struggling with speed on the outside, and there are a lot of game plans. There seems to be no plan to, to help. There's not there's just not a lot of chipping, not a lot of extra blockers. There, there's just not a lot going on there to help an offensive line that seems to be pretty clearly struggling in one area. W- would you agree that that's still something they're continuing to neglect? Yeah, they are. And not even that, right, but more creative screens, more creative draws. Uh, more creative plays on third down. We saw the New Orleans Saints in Seattle. They ran a power on third down because edge pressure was coming. If the edge is getting up the field, there there are run plays for that. We just haven't seen it. We saw one screen last week to Cole Komet. We haven't seen a ton of screens this year. Uh, you, If you're going to chip the outside speed, you have to chip from the line of scrimmage. You can't help on great pass rushers from the backfield, especially with a young running back like Khalil Herbert. So like you're saying, there is creative ways – to help the tackles. We haven't seen a bunch of it. Actually, we've seen the opposite. We've seen them use plays that put the tackles, you know, put them really one-on-one, put them on island. We see them on second, the second play of the game last week. A lot of people have talked about it, but we see them give Khalil Herbert and Peters the hardest jobs to, to block. If a free safety comes, Herbert has to adjust. He has to abort his fake. That's a lot now for a rookie quarterback. You see them when they run the ball and boot, the two times in the Tampa game, they had a lot of success. So like you're saying, um, just when you go through the film and everybody's saying it, right, no matter what analyst is saying it, you just really can't understand what their thought process is when they call these plays. But I'll go back and I'll say this, and I've been saying this a lot since it happened. When, when Bill Lazor got fired from Miami, he got fired for one reason. Dan Campbell, the assistant head coach there, said, Bill Lazor does not run the ball enough. Okay, when, when DiFilippo got fired in Minnesota, Zimmer said, Filippo does not run the ball enough. Nagy's problem with his offense is he does not run the ball enough. They have all these ideas in one room. They have all these quarterback coaches. They need somebody new. All Nagy has to do is look at where he came from, okay? Andy Reid was an offensive line coach before Holmgren moved into quarterback coach. They need someone else in that offensive meeting coming up with ideas who looks at the game from the protection scheme first. Would you think – and, you know, correct me if I, uh, I'm wrong, as, as an offensive line coach, is that, you know, because a lot of people say Juan Castillo had a lot to do with designing this run game. Is that something Castillo can do? Is that something Castillo's not doing? What, I know every coaching staff is different in terms of how they, you know, approach a game plan. But, you know, is basically I think fans are looking to point the finger and the obvious one is Nagy being this is his baby. But, you know, you've got Laser in theory calling plays, which I, I do think he's doing at this point now, at least, but where is it? I mean, cause I think Juan Castillo want, likes brawlers. He likes the Peters, the downhill types, the Jenkins, the Borums. And, and we're seeing that in the run game, but it's not translating in the pass game. Is that something I think Castillo can bring to the table or is this just as a group that's just a, a group fail? 
Yeah, it's a design problem, all like starting with Ryan Pace and the way the offensive line was put together, right? So really it was Tevin. They got rid of Leno. They, they draft Tevin Jenkins. He's hurt. He has a back injury, right? They got Barone. Barone has an ankle injury. So they're down to the guy, Jason Peters, who you know, is a Hall of Fame tackle, but he's almost 40 years old, right? So now how do we throw the ball with our fifth offensive tackle there, right tackle this week, Lechavius Simmons, right? So you want to throw the ball – the Kansas City Chiefs, the Philadelphia Eagles, the two times that this scheme has actually won a Super Bowl. It was Fisher and Schwartz out there in Kansas City, two very good tackles, right? Lane Johnson and Jason Peters in his prime out there at Philadelphia. So you know the way your offense line has to be built. So it starts there. It starts with the way the offense was constructed, put together, and they don't really have an explosive player, right? Um, Alex Brown likes to call it 88 and out the gate. What he's saying by that is this. Can you catch the ball and go 88 yards? Right? Can you catch a slant and go 88 yards? I ask you this, Bill. When's the last time you saw that? When's the last time you saw an offensive player for the Bears catch a pass, break tackles, and go to the house? I'm going to say Tariq Cohen against the Jets in 2018. Great call. Great call on the screen, right? Yep. It's a great call. It's the last time I saw it. This, this offense is built around explosive plays. They don't have explosive players. They went on and got all this speed because they lacked that. Instead, now they're a power running team. Credit Juan Castillo. They have found a way to run the ball. They haven't found a way to score off of the run game. And that's been my argument for years with them. They've been saying their run game and their own line is fixed. And I've been saying for years, no matter if you run the ball, you still can't score points. Now, about the offensive line, if I look kind of individually, I mean, if I look at it, you know, personally, and obviously I don't know what I'm looking at nearly as well as you do. I think Peters overall has probably been their best lineman, which in some ways is unfortunate being they grabbed him and, you know, off a fishing trip and basically the beginning of August and, and thrust them into the offensive line there. But I want to ask you specifically about Sam Mustafer, because I know that's someone you worked with in, in the off season and there was a, a lot made that everyone was really excited that happened. And, you know, I haven't, you know, Sam has, has moments where I think he, he, he looks great. And there's other moments where I, I think he's struggling and I don't think he, has made the jump that maybe the bears thought he would based on some of his play at the tail end of last season. What, what have you seen from Sam positives and negatives? Well, first of all, I would say James Daniels has been their best lineman by far. Okay. Right. Okay. James Peters just played good football, big, strong, uh, plays well, but uh, lacks mobility nowadays, but James Daniels, uh, a really good football player. I will say this to the people. I don't, I don't talk about Sam a lot because I let other people analyze him because I do work with him. I am obviously biased, to Sam Mustafa. I know him really well. I've trained Sam since he was at Notre Dame. So I know him. Okay. I will say this to Bears fans who talk about Sam Mustafa. He is an undrafted center making league minimum. If you think Sam Mustafa is your problem, you don't understand the Bears offense, right? If you're worried about Sam Mustafa, the Bears offense has huge problems. If you, what are you going to do with Sam Mustafa? There's a reason Sam is in there. James and, and Cody struggle making calls for a rookie quarterback, okay? When you're watching the film last week, you can go to – if you go to the TV copy, I'll tell you what Sam Mustafer brings. Go to the TV copy, turn the volume up. You'll hear him make a call. You wonder why they ran the ball so good against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and no one else has. Sam Mustafer recognizes zone blitz and makes a call so the offensive line picks it up. Clean, out the gate. All because of Sam Mustafer and the way he processes information at the center position. There is now Sam. He knows he, he does not get coddled at my gym. He does not get coddled when he comes to see me. He knows what he has to improve on. It wouldn't be fair of me to talk about what he needs to improve on since I tell him personally. But That's I will tell you this. Um, the Bears offense has huge problems. 
the way they're designed from top to bottom is problems. If people are worried about Sam Mustafer, they don't really know football. If they're talking about Sam Mustafer, they don't know football. They don't know what's going on up front on the line of scrimmage, the calls that are being made. Back, we'll talk about Sam more. They, they, they replay Tony Romo replay when Sue threw him. Perfect. Tony Romo doesn't know the run game. Jesse James gets beat on the outside, on outside zone. The thing compact. Sam Mustafer actually has Sue reach. He's actually doing his job. Khalil Herbert has to cut it back early on outside zone, runs into the back of Sam Mustafer because Jesse James and James Daniels are beat on the edge. So what I'm saying to you is this. Sam Mustafer, sure, he needs to improve. He's an undrafted free agent who's earned a starting job. I don't know. When you said you were expecting him to make a jump, what did you? What kind of jump did you expect an undrafted free agent making league minimum to make? Well, look, and, and here's what I'll say. And I completely respect Alex Bars as well, working his way to be a, a key backup on this line. These are both UDFA guys. I look at the offensive line's issues that they're having more as a fail from Ryan Pace because I don't think he's addressed the offensive line enough as a whole. For, forget Sam Mustafer for a second as a whole. I mean, this is a guy who's, um, you know, invested three second-round picks in six years in terms of the offensive line, and two of them are starting, by the way, and one of them would be starting most likely if he was healthy. And other than that, there haven't been really, on this present roster, there haven't been any major free agent acquisitions. There haven't been any, I mean, the investments are usually day-free assets that are, are a stretch. I mean, I'm excited to see what Borum can do, but, you know, I mean, you're talking about Simmons and Hambright being seventh-round picks. Even if you go back, Faba Luge, sixth-round pick, Jordan Morgan, fifth-round pick. There's not a lot of, been a heavy investment in the offensive line, which I think is a fail of Ryan Pace. Sam Mustafer, as an undrafted free agent, re reaching the point he has is a complete credit to Sam Mustafer because UDFAs, you know, it's a, it's a, a what, a 10% chance, 15% chance you're going to make the practice squad, let alone work your way up to the 53-man roster. So I give him all the credit in the world. All I'm saying is Sam Mustafer tail end of last season was in that pleasant surprise category. People were really pleased with what they were seeing from him. And I think there hasn't been in, again, I'm not, you know, Olin Krutz, I'm not a, an NFL mm -hmm. offensive lineman, but from the offensive line knowledge that I have, I haven't seen an appreciable jump to make, you know, to say, all right, he's improved here, here, and here based on where he was in December of 2020. That's my, that's uh, my, the, the, the Chicago bears offense. Now in argument to that, the Chicago bears offense, they, they can't throw the ball at all. They have the number six rush, six or seven rushing offense in the NFL. The center must be doing something right, right? The center must be doing something right. When there is huge problems in the pass game, it's usually not the middle of the line, right? So I don't know. I understand everybody likes to come at me with Sam Mustafer because I know him well. I do. And if, if he needed to improve or he was a huge problem, I don't know if I'd say it. Um, I probably wouldn't just be out of respect for him because I know him. Um, but I will tell you this. Um, this offense has a lot of problems. If Again, when I read comments on Twitter and stuff about Sam Mustafer, I laugh to myself and just say, man, this is not people who know much football. If they're worried about Sam Mustafer in the Chicago Bears offense and all the problems they have, then look, Kevin Jenkins is, is out with a back injury. Larry Brown's been out for weeks. If those two guys are back and you want to throw everybody in the mix and have a competition, by all means, by all means, but they, but they don't have anybody right now. They don't have anybody to move around. So I don't know. Everybody's like, well, Kevin Jenkins, Barone is back. We don't know how healthy they are. 
We don't. Right. They haven't played any football in six weeks. Well, all, people already have Barome and right tackle move. James Daniels. There's a reason James Daniels moved out from center. There's a reason Cody Whitehair moved out from center. The guys at Hallis Hall know the reasons. That's why they're not playing that position. Physically, can they do it? Yes. But there's a reason Sam Mustafer is the pivot for the Chicago Bears. There's a reason Chicago Bears are averaging 120 yards rushing. When you turn the film on, you see Sam Mustafer a lot of time one-on-one with Vita Vea, one-on-one with nose guards. You're asking your undrafted free agent to make the hardest block for your offensive line in the run game, okay? Sometimes he wins, sometimes he loses. But I'll tell you this, the number seven in the league in rushing with no pass game. So and, if you're talking about Sam Mustafer to me, to me it's just, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't understand it, but that's fine. I, I, I'll answer the questions, but gosh, the Bears, problem, the Bears offense has way more problems than the undrafted Sam Mustafer. And, and, and I brought up Sam Mustafer simply because of your relationship with him and that you know him well. I, I, well, you, you ask the question, you're going to get the answer. It was right? not like, to pinpoint like, here's the, thing. the problems here's on the Sam thing, here's, here's the thing as two journalists. I, I, you know I work with him. So if you're going to ask a question, you're going to get a personal answer. I to understand me, it's, a, it's a dumb question. Okay. You want to say it's a dumb question. I'm going to disagree with you, obviously. But my point is I'm not trying to pinpoint on Sam Mustafer. I'm trying to get – Well, if you, you ask know, about him, you pinpoint on him. Okay. Right? Well, if you ask I, about him, you pin – you can't say I'm not trying to pinpoint Sam Mustafer when you pinpoint Sam Mustafer. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Okay, well, I was also going to pinpoint right tackle and, and left guard and, and speed on the outside. But you and, did and, pinpoint Sam Mustafer, right? I did pinpoint Sam, yeah. and that's, that's But you fair. just said but you didn't. You just I'm, said you weren't trying to, but you okay. did. Let me, let me rephrase that. I was not trying to pinpoint Sam Mustafer that he is the problem on the offensive line, he alone. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to say. I do not believe that's the case. I believe Cody Whitehair is probably having the worst season of his career. I think they haven't had any success at right tackle basically since day one. I, I never liked the Effetti thing, and I and I think Effetti's had problems when he was healthy. I think they struggle in pass protection, but but I'm just I'm going to say again to you to people who say this stuff about the offense line, they cannot be where they are rushing with no pass game and be struggling terribly. They just cannot be, and they have a six round pick now. But it doesn't. People used to say before it was all Montgomery. Now we know that's wrong. Now we know that's completely wrong. Right? Khalil yeah, Herbert's look great. has had success. Damon Williams has had success. So now we know the offensive line has to be doing something right. And I will tell you this. People might want to start looking at the skill positions and what they're getting out of there. And we talked about earlier, is it 88 out the gate? We have not seen that. We have not seen that from Mooney. We have not seen Allen Robinson this year. Coco Met has been, has been MIA. Eventually, someone has to take a quick pass, break a few tackles, and make a big play. And, you know, since you brought that up, let, let me go over to the, the skill position here really quick, because I agree with you 100 percent. And I'm not seeing and, you know, Justin Fields is growing and I, I want to get to Fields after after this with you before I let you go. But the, the skill position players in the passing scheme, it seems that there's very little separation at, at any point. There's just, look, there's a lot of speed out there on that field with Goodwin and, and Bird. And uh, there's plenty of speed, but it's not being utilized properly. You know, you brought up screens as a way to maybe, you know, help certain things. I, I think we know how much skill Justin Fields has in pushing the ball down the field. If you were in that offensive room with Nagy and, and, and Laser and, and Flip, where would you focus on trying to get more separation and more play I mean, play action, I think is a great place to start. Obviously we've seen how much better fields is out of play action, but where, what would you point at and say, 
Matt, you, you got to start doing this if you're going to get any any success out of the passing game. Uh, simple, simply, I, I would say you watch Kyle Shanahan do it. Most teams have a naked boot scheme in where they get the quarterback out of the pocket. The Bears did it twice, I think, last week. I, I haven't watched the fourth quarter yet, but twice up to the third quarter. Didn't hit Cole Komet once um, uh, for a short gain, or was it Jesse James? But you can run that, and then you can run a version of it where it looks like it, and then you pull up right about the tackle box, right? So everybody thinks it's going to be this cross the field, cross the field, which you run that level scheme, which everybody likes to run. But then you run it, and you run corners back, and you're trying to get a big play out of, out of this kind of boot pull-up scheme, right? So I think just something – a little more, a little more creative in that area for the Chicago Bears. Like they, and when they hit uh, Coco Met for 21 yards uh, against the Packers, they pulled the guard. It's called a trap pass. Things like that. Little trap pass. Little pull the guard. Just get the linebacker to step up. Just give them some eye candy. So you can get behind them. The problem for me right now is defenses seem to know when Laser's about to call that, and they have a two deep shell. And they're forcing them to run the ball because they know the Bears want to take a shot. They're dying to do it. So eventually you have to start taking these little gains, little gains, and force them to come up in the pass game off of play action run. Right now what the Bears do is when they go to the short pass game, it's shotgun, it's empty, everybody knows this pass. They got to go to the short pass game out of play action. Every time they go to play action, they're trying to take a deep shot. Take your four or five yards, make them come down, make them stop it. When you see that, then you take your shot. All right. I, I think that's that's fair. Now, um, about Justin Fields, I think, you know, there was a lot of fans screaming to have him out there week one. And now that Fields has been out there a few weeks, some of those same fans seem to be screaming that they should have stuck with Andy Dalton the whole time, you know, when he was once he got healthy. So, you, you, you know, I, I think a lot of fans felt that Justin Fields was going to step in and be Russell Wilson or Justin Herbert out of the gate. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously those those rookie quarterbacks are, are few and far between from what you've seen with fields, because I do think overall, you know, no, no development is linear, but we've seen, you know, bits and pieces as these weeks have progressed where he has improved. The thing for me that I, I really liked against the Packers was those two drives he put together where to me, that was really the first time he strung back to back to back to back, really good plays, good decisions, and just marched the ball down the field. I, I think that those were real positives. Obviously, there wasn't as nearly as many positives in the Tampa game. But where are you from what you've seen in these first four or five games with Fields' uh, progression as a rookie? Yeah, I think the thing that's been missing for me is just those um, off-schedule plays. I thought I'd see more of that, where he rolled out of the pocket, pressure came, and there was a scramble drill. Now, there's been some mis- miscommunication between him and the receivers, and I saw today uh, he had said on his Zoom or his press conference that, he was hoping to get more Zoom meetings with the wide receivers so they can get that straightened out. Um, you know, last week, Mooney dropped the third down. Cole Komet dropped the third down pass. I've liked his leadership. Um, sometimes his pocket presence. He looks like a rookie quarterback a lot of times, sure. right? And I haven't been able to see really what I thought I would see from him because of we, like we talked about the design from the Bears. Gosh, every national analyst has been screaming about what the hell are the Chicago's Bears doing design and scheme-wise, right? So – the frustration, this has been, guys, like you know, Bill, this has been since Mr. Trubisky. We've been saying these things since Mr. Trubisky was that quarterback. Why aren't they running boots? Why aren't they getting Mitch out of the pocket? That's what Dow Loggins drafted him for. Dow Loggins drafted Mitch for the Kyle Shanahan scheme 
and we never saw Coach Nagin and run it until they really struggled and then they made laser coordinator. Anyway, um, I guess just as far as Justin Fields goes, he looks like a guy who could be a good quarterback, uh, especially a special talent, has good arm, right? He has arm talent. Uh, he has to learn how to understand blitzes. He has to learn that protection is his first responsibility. By that, I mean organizing protection up front, letting guys know when the free safety comes down, like on the second play of that game. Uh, you'll hear Tom Brady. You'll hear Aaron Rodgers. All the greats, all these guys do that. But he's still a rookie quarterback. I'd like to see them more designed quarterback runs from him, um, more shots, more him getting them out of the pocket. But as far as what I've seen, just um, getting the ball out a little quicker than he did through the weeks, uh, recognizing things a little better, his leadership. I don't know if you saw, but after last week's game, uh, immediately he wanted to be on the podium. He wanted to be talking about the loss. He wanted to lead the team. You like those kind of guys. You like the kind of guys sure. that won't hide, who talk about, like, look, uh, I need to get better. We need to get better. Um, I'm not used to this losing, but I'm going to keep fighting. Like, that's, that's, that's winning in the NFL. So, so far, I really liked what I saw. And to be honest with you, I wanted Justin Fields to start from the beginning. I, I think he should still play. And there's only one reason why, Bill. I need to see this coaching staff improve him. I need to see the – I think if Dalton plays, I don't know about this staff anymore. I don't know if these guys can improve a young quarterback. I need to see them improve this young quarterback. So I, as an owner, if I'm George McCaskey or if I'm Ted Phillips, I know if I'm going to keep them or not. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. I've said since basically May – that this season comes down to Justin Fields' development and mm -hmm. learning what this coaching staff can do with him and what you have at the quarterback position. That's what, you know, far more important to me than whether they go 10 and 7 or 7 and 10 is what Justin Fields is at the quarterback position and what the coaching staff can do with him. I'm 100% with you on that. Last thing before I let you go, Khalil Mack looks like he's going to be out two to three games. The size done a heck of a job in most of these games, getting pressure which of course is helping the secondary, which I think is a little suspect in terms of talent, but he's getting pressure for, in most of these games, he's going to have to try and do it without Mac. I, I can't sit there and be like, you think, you know, Cleo Mac is going to hurt. Obviously losing Cleo Mac is going to hurt, but do you think Desai can keep pressure on with some of these stunts and some of the things he's done without Khalil? Yeah, it's going to be hard, right? I mean, hopefully Quinn comes back because Quinn was really playing because Absolutely. now we know Mac had a foot injury. He was playing at an extremely high level maybe their best defense alignment through the first few weeks. But um, last week we saw a lot of those touchdowns or a lot of those big plays by Tampa Bay. It was Kamara and Gibson on the field, right? And now the Bears with Akeem Hicks out uh, uh, and Eddie Goldman not looking as like Eddie Goldman. I don't know what you think, but I don't think he's looked quite like Eddie Goldman. Um, they showed to stop the run, 155 yards, right? I think Tampa Bay had 180 yards last week. They were running good early. They just – they ran whenever they wanted to run last week on the Chicago Bears. And, and a lot of that was at Gibson and Bilal Nichols. So losing Khalil Mack, uh, that, that secondary, they, they can't – they're not an elite, elite secondary, right? They, they're elite because of the pressure up front. Sure. Uh, that's where the Bears, all the money is. So, man, I mean, I, mean, I, I think it goes without saying. Khalil Mack, uh, you hope that Akeem Hicks is growing is fine if Mack is out. Hopefully Eddie Goldman keeps improving. Uh, if we can get Quinn back, the level he was playing, the only problem is, like, you know, Bill, if, if, if Max out, they're going to double Quinn, right? Yeah. So now, you right. know, and they try to run. I, I don't know who – I think it was Christian Jones was in last week on one of the big plays, and they try to run that stunt that you keep seeing with Quinn and Mac. Well, obviously, this wasn't quite the same with Christian Jones and Mac, right? So – and an injured Mac. But 
Uh, it's going to be hard, man. It's going to be hard. The guys, there's a reason they traded two ones and a three for him. There's a reason he has a contract he has. Uh, he's very good in the run game. He's a good leader. He never stops playing hard. He gets after the quarterback. He even had pressure last week. And you and I both know if he's out this week and he had pressure last week, he damn well was playing with a sore foot last week. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Olin, uh, that was a great spot. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for so much time. And we'll talk to you again down the line. No problem, Bill. Give me a call. We'll talk more about Sam Mustafer. <laughs> <laughs> there he is, everyone. Olin Krutz, the great Chicago Bear. That that was a great interview. Got, got a little spicy over Sam Mustafer. Not, not going to lie. I, I was definitely... Uh, Olin was going down a path he did not want to go with me. That was, uh, but that was fun. Olin's a great guy. That was that was not personal. That was uh, just a question about Sam Mustafer because he he knows him well. That was that was not meant to be an attack on Olin. And I made sure after the interview that Olin knew that, and he did. And he just you know that's just Olin's personality. If he's going to disagree with you, if he's going to defend one of his guys, he's going to defend one of his guys. Now, you know I, I don't know offensive line play like Sam Mustafer, but I do try and dabble in it quite a bit and. Look, Sam Mustafer, for what he has done as a UDFA, is outstanding. The fact that he's worked his way up to be a starting offensive lineman. But at the same time, there was a reason why Sam Mustafer was a UDFA and not selected in the second or third round of the NFL draft. There is a major reason, and because he's not at that level. But if you are going to be a UDFA, then you need to work your way up to that level if you're going to be playing for an NFL team at center you know, time and time again, week in and week out. And look, he, he brought up that how much better the line calls have been with Sam Mustafer. That's something I am going to completely, you know, bow to Kroots on that because Kroots is someone who's going to know that 10 times, 100 times better than I'm ever going to. So, you know, that's that's great to know about, about Sam. But yeah, he's still struggling with an anchor and, you know, he's getting pushed back into the pocket a lot. You know, he's saying he's getting one-on-one with, 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 with nose tackles and very good nose tackles at that but he's not getting a lot of push off the offensive line, even when he is on a double team on running games. Look, Sam Mustafer, is he the problem of the offensive line? No, but is there a spot for improvement at center? I certainly believe so. Now, again, Olin's going to defend his guy. I completely respect that. And like I said, Olin brought things to my attention in that interview that I wasn't even that familiar with. So that's, that's why you have Olin on, not just to educate you know the audience, but to educate the podcaster as well. Because I, I certainly don't know everything there is to know about football, as a lot of you can attest to. So, great interview with Olin. You know, offensive line, you know, it's it's there in the running game, but it's still not there in the pass game. They have not schemed. They have not figured that out. And that continues to be a problem because they are just not giving Justin Fields enough time as a unit. You want to talk about scheme. You want to talk about Castillo. You want to talk about Peters and, and, and Simmons and Bars and, and Nefetti not being able to handle speed on the outside. You want to talk about white hair struggles? There's plenty to talk about with the offensive line in, in the pass protection aspect of what they do. But the bottom line is it's not enough right now. Fields is getting hit a lot of times less than two seconds after he has the football. There, you, there's no rookie quarterback that's going to get the ball out in time there. There just isn't. So until we see a little improvement there, and you know, Olin br- brought plenty of suggestions on how to do that with the current personnel. They're obviously not going to be able to go out and and sign significant players in the middle of the season and fix the offensive line. They've got to work with the personnel they have, and they need to scheme better. They need There's a lot they need to do to help with the speed on the outside, to get Justin Fields moving and not just sitting in the pocket while it collapses around him. There's a lot that needs to be done that isn't getting done, and that's getting frustrating. So we move on to this 49ers game. I know the Bears are a home underdog. I know a lot of people are assuming San Francisco is going to win. 
even more so with Khalil Mack appearing to be out of this game. But this is the type of game that this Matt Nagy Chicago Bears team always seems to win. When you are at the point where you're like, you are checking out on the Bears, you are assuming that there is just no positives left and that the season is about to collapse. The Matt Nagy Bears always seem to manage to win this game and just kind of bring the fan base back a little. And where, look, and, and I've said this before, those eight and eight teams the last two years, those teams did not feel like eight and eight teams. They felt like five and 11 teams, but they still clawed their way to eight and eight, which is a credit to Matt Nagy. I know people don't want to hear that, but that to me is a credit to Matt Nagy. It is one of the few things that you can look to. Now, perhaps his, his message has grown, grown stale. That happens uh, with, with, with the team. And if that happens and they don't respond the way, if, if they are disinterested, then yeah, this team is on the verge of a collapse. But if they are still responding to Matt Nagy, I think they can absolutely bounce back and beat San Francisco even without Khalil Mack out there. So we'll see what happens. I'm going to call this a Chicago Bears win. I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be something like 19 to 16, 19 to 17. Let's call it that way. Chicago Bears 19, San Francisco 17. That kind of an ugly defensive, running the football, not a lot of explosive plays kind of a game. Jimmy Garoppolo is not a good quarterback. Justin Fields is, is on the learning curve. We'll see what happens here. I think Fields does get a couple balls down the field, a couple deep completions. I think that's going to help kind of stretch the, the defense a little and help this offense a little bit. Hopefully there's a bit, bit more of a better scheme for Justin in this, but I do think the Bears managed to win this one because this is what they do, right? When everyone counts them out, that's when the Chicago Bears bounce back. So we'll see if I'm right. That's going to do it for Bears banter. We will talk to you all next week. Bear down, everybody. Adios.